Heavenly Father, we come to you, Lord, with hearts that are overwhelmed by your love. Overwhelmed. We do not deserve it, and yet we're so grateful. Lord, I ask that you take these words that I have written down, the noise that comes out of my mouth. Holy Spirit, put some meaning into it, please. I ask that you touch us where we need to be touched and that we leave this place feeling overwhelmed by your love, overwhelmed. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Last week, Richard preached on Holy Wednesday and Thursday. Wednesday didn't happen a lot of stuff, but Thursday, the big thing was the Last Supper. And Jesus had finished serving his disciples, teaching them for the last time about service, and he forewarns them that they're going to betray him. He even has to referee between them because his disciples, the 12 men who he spent three years with, are now fighting. Can you imagine this? At the Last Supper, they're fighting over which one's going to be the greatest. Can you imagine? What was in Jesus' heart listening to them? I mean, for goodness sake. I'm telling you that the secret to the kingdom of heaven is being a servant, and you're arguing about greatness? Luke tells us that Jesus finally exclaims, it's enough. It reminds me of my mom, who would announce after a long day, I have had enough. What is enough, Jesus? You've done your best to teach these fishermen, and now, for better or for worse, you need to let them survive without you? Or have you had enough of their misunderstanding everything you've been trying to tell them? How many different ways do you need to explain to them the importance of having servants' hearts? You just wash their feet and they still don't get humility. Hebrews 4.15 tells us, We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Today, we're going to walk with Jesus, the God-man, in his last hours here on earth. We are going to delve deeper into the heart and mind of Christ, our creator and savior, our high priest who intercedes for us, who has suffered for us and experienced every pain and every heartache that we have ever experienced. He knows what life is all about. He knows that life is a roller coaster. One day he's being hailed king. Another day, the rabbi demanded him death. He knows disappointments, rejection, ridicule, being misunderstood, loneliness, having to bite your tongue and stay silent, abuse, torture, injustice, execution. He knows life. And we are given freedom to come to him because he understands our heart. There's a mystery that we can never fully understand. How can Jesus be totally man and totally God at the same time? It's hard to wrap our minds around that. In these last few hours of Christ's life, we see his inner struggles clearer. He's no longer teaching. He's no longer trying to train anybody. This is all about him. After the Last Supper, as was his habit, He takes his disciples to the Mount of Olives, and he tells them to sit and wait until he has prayed. Now, my question would be, why would Jesus bring his disciples to the garden when he knew what was about to happen, and he knows how useless they are, 
But I think Jesus the man didn't want to be alone. Did he feel he wanted to have people near him? He leaves the eight over here, and he invites the three, Peter, James, and John, his more intimate friends, to come a little further into the garden with him. He says to them, he confides to them, my soul is grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch. What does that mean, grieved to the point of death? I don't think I've ever been grieved to the point of death. Have you? I mean, what does that mean? Jesus, were you distressed that you will suffer physically? Or was it about the destruction of Jerusalem in 30-odd years? Were you anxious that perhaps three years had not been enough to give the world the good news? Perhaps you needed more time? Perhaps you needed smarter, more educated disciples? Were you dreading becoming sin? Were you afraid that you would be unable to stay on the cross and suffer as a human rather than roar into a lion and show your true power? He advises the three to pray that they may not enter into temptation. What did they understand what he was talking about? What temptation? Even though he had told them. He withdrew a stone's throw away and he began to pray. My hour has come. God the Father had given Jesus authority over all mankind to give eternal life. He tells his Father that he has done what he was told to do. He has glorified the Father. And now, Father, glorify me, Jesus says. And his followers have understood that Jesus is from God. So Jesus begs his Father to be with them, to keep them, since he is leaving. He's worried about them. While Jesus was with them, he kept them. And not one of them perished. Father, keep them from the evil one, John tells us, he says. Could the Father perhaps spare them from suffering during the destruction of Jerusalem? Jesus sent them into the world, sanctified, that they may all be one, even as Jesus and the Father are one, that they also may be part of the union of Father and Son, so the world will believe that the Father has sent Jesus. The glory that the Father has given the Son has been given to them, so that they may be one, perfected in unity, Jesus, is this what you were so distressed about? The well-being of your followers to the point of death? You yearn for their unity? <laughs> Why? Because you know them well. You know them. And Jesus prays in a very human way. He says to his father, he wants his disciples who have been with him while he was only a man here on earth, a carpenter gone rogue, to see him in all his glory. Father, would you do that? Would you have these men see me in my full glory? I was loved by the Father before the foundation of the world. He begins to agonize about the bitter cup that has been set before him. This cup of death, of torture, of evil, of becoming evil itself. But Father, thy will be done, not mine. Perhaps Jesus wanted to look at his friends that meant so much for reassurance that they were worth all the suffering. So he looks over there to see where they're praying. They're all snoring. That's asleep. How did you feel, Lord? Lonely? I know how angry and not cared for I would have been. Jesus goes up to Peter and complains that they are unable to stay awake with him for one hour. These friends who have promised an hour ago to fight for my life if needed and who showed me swords after the Last Supper 
Guys, stay watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. Peter, James, John. Jesus goes back to his praying spot. And again, he begs his father. If this cup cannot pass from me unless I drink it, thy will be done. Lord, are you asking your father for a plan B? Was there a plan B? But Jesus, didn't you come to earth for this purpose? He knew it. Isn't this what Satan was trying to prevent in the desert while Jesus was weak from fasting? But surely this cup must have been very, very hard if Jesus is struggling so much with it. Jesus again looks up and sees Peter, James, and John fast asleep. Lord, were you thinking that these three were what? Fishermen. And what do fishermen do? They stay all night awake, the most boring job on the world, sitting on a boat, waiting for the fish to come. All night they stay awake, and they can't stay awake for you for one hour after you've opened up your heart. But how compassionate Jesus is with them. What does he tell them? He says, keep watching and praying that you might not fall into temptation. See, he wants them to pray for themselves, just like he's praying for himself. And then he says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Savior, do you say the same thing about me when I'm weak, when I can't stay vigilant even though I know better? A third time, Jesus goes back to pray and pour out his soul to his father. And again, they're asleep. Mark tells us that an angel from heaven appeared to Jesus to strengthen him. And that his agony was so deep that his sweat fell like drops of blood onto the ground. The term is hematohydrosis. It's a rare clinical condition where a person sweats blood. The cause is not certain, but some scientists speculate it happens upon extreme stress. What was heaven's reaction to what Jesus was going through? Was there an emergency prayer meeting for the sun? Was there an SOS immediately sent out from on high? And a special agent sent to strengthen Jesus? Was that planned from the beginning? Or did the father suddenly realize that his son was in trouble? What did the angel whisper in Jesus' ear? Did he hug Jesus so that this unbearable loneliness would pass? Whatever the angel did, it worked. Jesus was ready and fortified. He wakes them up for the third time, and he tells them his hour is at hand. The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Are they totally confused? In the dark, there must have been noise from afar off. An entire rabble with swords, lanterns, and clubs approached Jesus and the disciples with Judas Iscariot. Judas knew the place where Jesus was going to be because he used to go there often, a ravine called Kidron in the garden there. Jesus knew what was happening, so he approaches them and he asks them, Who are you seeking? They answer Jesus of Nazareth. And he says to Judas, friend, do what you've come for. Judas approaches Jesus to kiss him as a designated sign to identify who was to be arrested. A funny thing happens. Luke tells us that Jesus appears surprised, but Judas comes with a kiss. You're going to do this with a kiss, Judas? Lord, was that a rhetorical question? Don't you know all? Did you really not know that Judas was going to betray you with a kiss? a symbol of affection and intimacy. Nothing is sacred. After Jesus was identified, the rabbi began to manhandle him. 
And remember those two swords that I had mentioned that the disciples had shown Jesus at the end of the Last Supper? Well, they surface. Evidently, one of the sword carriers was Peter, and I'm not surprised. <laughs> and of all the rabble that were there, he cuts off the ear of the high priest's slave. My question to Peter is, what were you thinking? <laughs> Did you miss your mark when you cut off his ear? Had you meant to do more damage? Kill, perhaps? And was Caiaphas' slave particularly menacing? This guy was a slave of the high priest. Did you already know who he was? That's why you focused in on him? But boy, did Peter's action bother Jesus. He demands that Peter put away his sword. And then he is so indignant. Peter, do you think I can't protect myself? That I'm incapable of asking my father to bring me an entire army of angels? Lord, hasn't Peter seen you calm the storm? Bring a three-day dead person back to life? And he thinks you need protection? How hard was that for you, Jesus, not to just wring his neck? The gall of him. He can't stay awake for you for one hour? He's about to betray you and now he's full of machismo? This is who you chose to carry on your work of deliverance, Satan whispers in his ear. What a loser you chose to be the rock of the church. And then Jesus turns his anger on the rabble. Why have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me in the middle of the night? Well, every day I sat amongst you in the temple publicly, even in the synagogue, and you never once sees me there. Lord, at that moment, did you truly love that rabble in the middle of the night that came after you as if you were a common criminal? Did you love them? Jesus was led away early hours of the morning to Caiaphas' house, who's the high priest. The high priest is a high priest for one year, where he and the Sanhedrin, which is this august religious ruling body of the Jews, were already there with scribes they had gathered, And they were there because they were trying to find evidence against Jesus. And the disciples, well, they had fled. Except for Peter, except for Peter, who Matthew kind of goes out of his way to tell us that the reason why Peter was there was because he was curious about the outcome. He was curious about the outcome. And the Gospel of John tells us of another disciple who knew the high priest well, who also was there. Most likely it was John, the beloved. Who actually, John went in with Jesus into the house of the high priest because he knew them. But Peter was stuck out in the courtyard, listening. Chief priests and the religious rulers had stayed up late, trying to find evidence to convict Jesus and put him to death. They weren't being successful in finding false witnesses because the witnesses kept changing their stories. By the time Jesus is brought in, they finally find two witnesses who say that Jesus claimed to be able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Caiaphas stood up before Jesus and demanded a response, but Jesus kept silent. He was questioned about his disciples and his teaching. And finally, Jesus breaks his silence and he responds that nothing he has taught has been in secret. He has taught openly many times 
Don't ask me. Ask those who have heard me speak, Jesus retorts to Caiaphas, the high priest. One of the officers nearby gives Jesus a blow. How dare you speak to the high priest that way? Oh, Lord, how hard to be schooled by the high priest who did not recognize the lamb that was about to be taken away the sins of the world. How hard. Agitated, the high priest demands, by the living God, tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus responds, Caiaphas, you have said it. I tell you, hereafter, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds in heaven. Lord, why did you break your silence? Was it just too much to see this man before you, who was to lead your people into relationship with your father, but instead enslaved them with rules and hypocrisy? Caiaphas has heard what he needed. He is a blasphemer. Jesus is a blasphemer. No other witnesses are needed. He turns to the others around him and asks them what they think. And they all said, he deserves death. Meanwhile, Peter is outside in the courtyard, warming his hands by the charcoal fire that the slaves and the officers had made. A servant girl recognizes Peter as being with Jesus, but Peter denies knowing Jesus. A little while later, Someone else recognizes him and claims that Peter is one of Jesus' disciples. Peter again vehemently exclaims, Man, I am not. An hour later, another man recognizes Peter's accent. But he's a Galilean. He talks like Jesus. And for the third time, Peter protests that the man does not know what he's talking about. And while Peter was still speaking, the cock crowed. Most likely, the Bible says that Jesus could see the courtyard where he stood in the house, and his eyes caught Peter. And Peter remembered his Lord's words. Before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. Peter was devastated. He went out, and he wept bitterly. Lord, what was it like for you to see Peter's bravado extinguished and see him so broken? How hard was that? On top of all you were subjected to, did you want to go softly and tell him that this was why you had wanted him to pray with you in the garden? That temptation can only be defeated with the help from God. That you were praying to fight your temptation as well. Scripture tells us that Jesus was blindfolded, beaten with fists and slapped, mocked and commanded to prophesy who it was that slapped him. They made a game out of it. So they blindfolded him. They would slap him and say, okay, guess who did it? Most commentators, commentators believe that Caiaphas and the other members of the Sanhedrin were too posh, too whatever, to demean themselves to do that. And most likely the servants of the high priests were the perpetrators. But they watched. Lord, how hard to turn the other cheek, to not respond. When early morning had come, the Sanhedrin reassembled. The decision had already been taken that Jesus must die, but now they had to find the legal correct word to use so that the accusation could stick. Because you see, they didn't have the power to kill somebody. They were in Roman territory. And the key word they used was king. We're going to use the word king. So they lead Jesus from the high priest's home to Pilate, the Roman governor's residence. The hut... The hypocrisy of the Sanhedrin, these high-flowing, high-powered Jews in the religious world, was that they refused to go into Peter's house. Because why? Well, Peter's unclean. Peter's Roman. Okay? He's heathen. 
So we can't go into your house because we have to be clean because we're going to be eating the Passover soup. So Pilate comes out to talk to them because they won't go inside. I mean, did that hypocrisy nauseate you, Lord? How crazy? The Roman governor, Pilate, asks, what accusation do they have against this man? And the Sanhedrin begins to explain to him that, you know, if he, we wouldn't be waking you up early if we didn't have a serious excuse. This man, Jesus, is an evildoer. Pilate responds, well, then take him and judge him according to your laws. And they remind Pilate that they, the Jewish Sanhedrin, do not have permission to put anyone to death. Luke tells us that the priests informed Pilate that they found Jesus to be perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, that he himself is Christ the king. Not accurate, but this is what they were saying. Pilate brings Jesus into his residence, and he asks Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus asks Pilate, well, have you heard that from these guys, or do you know that yourself? And Pilate says, well, you know, I'm not a Jew. I don't know anything about you. What have you done, Jesus? Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. So Pilate just wants the bottom line. I don't know if Pilate's a morning person or not, but this is really early in the morning, okay? And he says, okay, so are you a king? <laughs> just tell me, are you a king or not a king? You say correctly that I am a king, Jesus responds. For this reason I have been born. For this reason I have come to this world to bear witness to the truth. Pilate is confused. Why he wants to engage? Truth? The Romans were philosophers. What is truth? And Pilate leaves Jesus inside. He comes out to the Sanhedrin. He says to them, I find no guilt in him, but the Jews have a custom that I should release someone for you at Passover. So would you like me to release this guy inside here who says he's the king of the Jews? I mean, Pilate is not godly, has he? Completely not understood what they're after. No, not this man, but Barabbas the robber, they start screaming. It seems that the Sanhedrin had already figured out what they were going to do. They'd already discussed this. They were in unison. No discussion. So Pilate re-enters the palace, and he wants to please the Jews. So he orders Jesus whipped, scourged. A scourge in the Roman times is not just a whip, but they would have these metal things, sharp things at the end of the whip, and they would use it, and he would cut the skin. So he ordered his soldiers to, be, to scourge Jesus. The soldiers weaved a crown of thorns, and they put it on his head. They covered him with a purple robe. They mockingly, they bowed to him and hailed him king of the Jews, and they punched him in the face. Pilate then brings Jesus out, bruised and bloody, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and he says to them, Behold, I am bringing him out so you know that I have no fault with him. And the Sanhedrin is incest. Crucify him, crucify him, they start screaming. How hard to stay quiet bruised, broken, mocked, to remain incognito. Pilate wants to be done with him. Take yourselves and crucify him. If you want to kill him so badly, I find no guilt in him, Pilate says. The Jews responded that they again, they have a law, and of that law, he ought to die, because he made himself out to be the son of God. Son of God, that doesn't concern Pilate. The Romans have so many, so many gods. The son of God is like, you know, every other person is a son of God. He goes aside and he asks Jesus, where are you from? Jesus does not answer. Pilate says, why aren't you speaking to me? Don't you know I have the authority to save your life? 
or to kill you? Jesus responds, you wouldn't have any authority unless it's given to you from above. Pilate's reaction to this is interesting. John tells that then he makes even more efforts to release Jesus. A Roman is not offended if someone claims to be deity. But then the Sanhedrin began to accuse Pilate. See, they want this done, right? And so they start to twist Pilate's hand. And what do they say to him? You, Pilate, a Roman governor, are not a friend of Caesar if you don't care that this man claims he's a king of the Jews. He's a king. Competition. Opposing Caesar. Pilate again asks, well, sh so shall I crucify him? Your king? And they scream out, we have no king but Caesar. The Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, the high priest are swearing allegiance to this Roman, that their allegiance is to Caesar. Rather than allow a riot to begin, Pilate washes hands from the situation. And he literally washes his hands from the situation. He washes them and he says, I am innocent of this man's blood. And all the people shouted, his blood be on us and our children. Lord, did your blood curdle when you heard that? Then Pilate releases Barabbas to the crowds and after whipping Jesus some more, he handed Jesus the Sanhedrin for crucifixion. The high priest swearing allegiance to Caesar. How wrong. Lord, were you thinking that this Caesar, whom the priests were giving their allegiance to, would order his general Titus to destroy Jerusalem in 37 years' time? What suffering they were going to be subjected to and they had no clue? Jesus is too weak to carry the horizontal part of the cross on his shoulders. So they find a man of Serene named Simon who had just come to Jerusalem from the country to carry the cross, the cross to Golgotha. Lord, how did that feel to be so weak that you couldn't carry the weight of your own burdens? Shoulders that would carry the responsibilities of the world. Isaiah prophesies, and the government will be on his shoulders. Responsibility of the world. And here he cannot carry a piece of wood on his shoulders. All in one procession, walking down the Via Della Rosa. Robbers, soldiers, high priests, rabbis, publicans, Pharisees, Sanhedrin, rabble, and savior. Jesus, when you walked, when you stumbled on that road, did you recognize any of the 5,000 you fed? Any of those faces? You fed with five fish and two loaves? Any of those who six days ago had shouted Hosanna, and now they're angry with you and eager for your death? Did you see any of those people on that road? Amongst the multitude were also women who were mourning and lamenting Jesus. And Jesus cannot help himself. I mean, it's just amazing to me. He's about to do something that he himself, Scripture tells us, he is terrified of doing. That heaven has to send an angel to fortify him. And he walks and he sees these women crying and he turns to them. And he says to them, daughters of Jerusalem, stop crying for me. Cry for yourselves. The days are coming when it would have been better that you never gave birth to your children, that you never nursed your babies. When you're on the second floor, don't come down. When you're out in the fields, don't come into the city because Jerusalem will be destroyed. Oh, Jesus, you are so weighed down by this future destruction of Jerusalem. 
So many of those you loved, you fed, you taught, would die a horrible death at the hands of the Romans. The temple would be destroyed, the pride of all the Jews. What a heavy heart. But how are you able to think of this holy city's citizens as her citizens are marching you down the street to your death? And when they reached the place of the skull, the soldiers humanely offered the criminals a sedative of wine and gall to drink to ease the horror of the crucifixion. And Matthew tells us something strange, that Jesus tries it. And when he realizes that there's a sedative in the wine, he refuses. He does not want his senses to be dulled. He wants to experience every bit of pain. How can it be, you may ask, that you want to experience the pain and humiliation? I mean, you're doing it anyway, you know? It's like, I have, you know, women say, you know, uh, natural childbirth or have, you know, drugs and all this kind of stuff. The point is you're going to have a baby anyway, so what's the point? You're going to die for these people anyway. Why do you have to, like, I mean, what's the point? Drinking to the last dregs of this bitter cup. How are you able to stay calm while they pierced your hands and feet? How were you even able to intercede on their behalf? He says to them, while they're piercing him, he says to his father, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. Around 9 o'clock in the morning, the soldiers hung, a robber on each side of Jesus. After the soldiers had crucified him, they divided his garments into four pieces by casting lots. And then they sat down to keep watch over him. Lord, could you see them dividing up your clothes while you hung naked? What were you thinking? Were you tempted to strike them dead? Pilate had written a sign. This is the king of the Jews in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests were not happy with Pilate. And they said to him, no, no, no. Don't say this is the king of the Jews. Say he says he is the king of the Jews. But Pilate, you know, as I said, I don't think he's a morning person. So you know what? I've written it. It's done. Get away. So this is the sign that's above Jesus, the king of the Jews. All started to sneer. Passers-by wagged their heads. You who claim to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. The chief priests, along with the scribes, mocked him. He saved others, but he can't save himself. Let this Christ, the king of Israel, now come down from the cross so that we see and believe. The robbers, too, cast insults at Jesus. Oh, sweet Jesus, how did you just hang there and take all that mocking? Surely nails were not holding you there. Surely a group of Roman soldiers could not contain you on a roughly hewn plank of wood. It must have been something else that kept you shackled, naked, under glaring eyes. One of the robbers directly mocked Jesus. Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and not us. Did your forbearance impress the other robber as he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into kingdom? Was that request like a salve unto your soul? Have you ever thought about that? Here Jesus is hanging. It seems like the whole world has not understood him. People he thought were here are now acting like this. Okay, he's going through this tough thing. And hanging next to him is a criminal, a criminal who finally recognizes who Jesus is for himself. Is that not like a gift to Jesus? 
Truly I say to you, he says, today you will be me in me, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus looked upon the women followers that were standing near the foot of the cross. It was Mary, his mother, her sister, and Mary Magdalene. And John. The four of them were near the cross. And when Jesus saw them, his heart broke for his mother. This sweet young woman who had obediently accepted the responsibility of nurturing the Son of God, who had loved him in a way that no other human being had ever loved him, was now confused and in agony. Mary, did you understand why your baby boy was not revealing his true nature? Why he just hung there as a lamb led to slaughter? Were you having doubts as to what this whole thing has been about? Were you glad that Joseph was no longer alive to see this horrible sight? Were you furious with the jeering crowds, or were you afraid that it would be your turn next? Jesus painfully addresses her and John. Woman, behold your son. John, behold your mother. And then he utters, I am thirsty. And a sponge soaked in sour wine on a hyssop branch was given to his parched lips. It was noonday. Noonday. The spiritual work Jesus had come to do was being accomplished. Hanging on that tree, he took upon himself sin. Sin from the beginning of time to the end of time. And in a mysterious way, Jesus experienced every evil act that had been done by humankind. He took on our depravity. And suddenly, he exclaims, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is what was terrifying you, huh? Your father turning his back on you. It was the first time and last time that would ever happen. It was unbearable. Because the thing Jesus hated the most, the thing the father hates the most, Jesus became sin. Twelve noon, an earthquake shook the earth. A darkness blotted out the midday sun. In the temple, the heavy curtain that separated man from God was torn, not from top, bottom to top, but miraculously from top to bottom. Rocks were split open, tombs opened, and the scripture says that many saints that had died were raised, so that many in Jerusalem saw these resurrected saints. Odd. So much to understand. So much that is confusing. But the one thing we take away from all of this is what? That something significant has happened. So that nature itself responds. The earth reacts to Jesus' final sacrifice. People are freed from the shackles of death. The separation that sin has caused between man and God is gone. The centurion that was keeping guard with his Roman soldiers became frightened. And he pronounced, surely this was the Son of God. The multitude who had gathered to watch the spectacle began to beat their breasts. Three hours had passed. It was now 3 p.m. Jesus, breathing his last, quietly announces, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. It is finished. Not I am finished, but it is finished. He has done it. He has accomplished it. He was able to stand the cross and not come down. He was able to contain the shame and the indignation of bearing our sin. At 6 p.m., the Sabbath will begin. Here again, the hypocrisy of this whole thing. At 6 p.m., it's 3 p.m. now, Jesus died. At 6 p.m., the Sabbath is happening, and it's a Passover, so it's a big deal. And the Jews 
cannot allow somebody to be hanging on a cross at Passover time. So they needed to get the bodies off the crosses quickly before Passover begins. So they had gone to Pilate and they got permission to break the legs of these three criminals that hung on the cross so to quicken the death and remove the hanging bodies. The soldiers broke the legs of the robbers. But when they came to Jesus, they had found Jesus already dead. Surprisingly, because crucifixion, death by crucifixion, is a long, long death. But Jesus is dead. So instead of breaking his legs, as prophecy says, one of them pierced Jesus' side, probably hitting the heart as well. Water and blood came running out. All these were done so scripture might be fulfilled. Luke tells us that Joseph of Arimathea, a secret disciple of Jesus and a member of the Sanhedrin, was a good and righteous man, and he had, consented, and he had not consented to the decision to kill Jesus. So he was part of the Sanhedrin, but he was not happy with what was going on. And he had finally gotten enough courage during the crucifixion to go to Pilate and get permission to take down the body of Christ. But Pilate was reluctant at first. He said, well, now it's early, okay? He's still alive. And uh, Joseph said, no, he's passed away. And this, so he brought the centurion. The centurion, yes, he has passed. So permission was granted to Joseph to remove the body. Nicodemus, remember Nicodemus, another secret follower, came and helped Joseph. So these two men brought down the body. Nicodemus had brought 100 pounds of myrrh and alloys to wash the body. And the two men took Jesus down from the cross, washed him, and bound the body in linen wrappings, as was the custom burial amongst the Jews. There was not enough time to travel far to bury Jesus because they were on this clock. So John tells us that there was a garden in Golgotha where, Jesus, where Joseph had hewn out a rock, a tomb for himself. So they put him in that tomb. And close by, Jesus' mother and Mary Magdalene watched to see where Jesus was to be laid. And then they rested. They took a, they took a boulder and they rolled it across so animals wouldn't come in. And then they rested on the Sabbath. The disciples rested, the followers rested, the Jewish priests, the scribes, the women, they all rested on the Sabbath. And the next we hear about any of Jesus' followers is the day after the Sabbath. How final it must have felt. Each one feeling that this is the end. The followers felt their dreams of freedom, salvation, were gone. The enemies felt good riddance. But in reality, victory had been attained. In reality, love had conquered the grave. But Jesus' loved ones, those who had left their homes to follow him, those who had hung on every hope, were disillusioned, afraid, despondent. But we know better, right? Today, we are overwhelmed with Jesus' love for us. He suffered all this because he wanted us to be free of the shackles of sin. He wants to spend eternity with us, but the penalty of death had to be paid. What deep angst is lodged in your heart? What pain are you carrying? You and I have an advocate that understands all our experiences. There is nothing that he has not suffered. He has experienced each one of our sins as if they were his own. He has subjected himself to our most base thoughts and ambitions. He has been whipped for our transgressions. It wasn't the power of the Sanhedrin that brought him down. It wasn't the inability of Pilate to hold his ground with the Jews. It wasn't the nails of the soldiers that kept him on the cross. 
As Michael Clark said, it was his love. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure. That he would give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss. The Father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Behold the man upon a cross. My guilt upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no powers, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart, his wounds have paid my ransom. Do you feel deeply loved this morning? Why don't we spend a few minutes just thinking about that?